before dawn, milk cows work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Today we're joined by Leonora Cravota. Hello, Leonora. Good morning, Scott. So, you know, I went to the gym uh, early today. Yes. Uh, different schedule. Yes. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to go to bed earlier and get up earlier and change my schedule around a little bit. And early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, or something like that. And then, you know, I remember Ted Turner said something to the effect, early to bed, early to rise, work like hell, and advertise. Right. He did say that, too, and yeah. that also rhymes. <laughs> yeah, but um, so I ended up watching on the treadmill, I ended up watching Fox and Friends for huh. the first time in, like, whatever, right? And uh, Because it's been, the court has been cut in the studio. Well, we've cut the cord, yeah, at home, at the studio. Uh, the cord has been cut. You know, YouTube, like I said to the audience, um, I do have YouTube TV on a pause. Because mm-hmm. after Tucker, I was like, that's enough. Yeah. I've had it. I've had it. I don't want to watch any Fox News. They are totally in the tank for globalism. Uh, and so a couple of uh, tidbits that I picked up from watching it on the treadmill. And... Uh, Oh, I am going to be reactivating YouTube TV for college football. So that goes back on around August. I, I, I'm i following the Colorado uh, Buffaloes because of Deion Sanders. Right. We coming. You know, so that's like so my new that, college. So, so you'll, my, you'll my still new college have, team. You'll still have until Fox start News um, during the election cycle yeah. this year and next Everybody year. knows I'm a big yeah. Penn State fan, but, you know, yeah. um, th- this Colorado thing is a departure. Yeah. Um, so what were you saying? I was saying that if you're going to do the package in the fall because of football, you'll have the package when the, when there are elections, whether they're regional or the national elections. Oh, are that's happening. true. That that's a very good point. So you'll so you will have it. So <laughs> that's a really good point. All right. So I was watching it, and a couple of little things I noticed because you know when you um, don't see something for a while and then you see it. Uh, you start to pick up like because I only I always look at the news from like a 
a different angle. Like I'm not just like consuming. Like I'm not breathing. You know, just listening to Brian kill me because I think he's smart. <laughs> you know, um, because I don't. <laughs> I don't agree with Brian kill me on a lot of things, and I can't stand Paul Ryan. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he. I could put him in the same bag as Hillary Clinton. And um, what I noticed is they were talking about the Democrat candidates. And they were basically saying something to the tune of uh, Joe Biden uh, not putting together a political apparatus. So even though he says he's running for 2024, it doesn't look like the apparatus is being put into place that suggests he would do that. And, you know, he might do a couple of speeches in Pennsylvania. Uh, He doesn't have to campaign because he's got the election rigging. Yeah. Right? He's got the ballot harvesters, the mail-in ballots, the illegal migrants that are getting ballots delivered somewhere that they don't even know. And they're being picked up by people in the know that are part of the Democrat Party that are filling out those ballots. And you get, you know, places like Kensington where... Uh, Philadelphia, or you know those uh, videos that are going online, like in San Francisco, well, San Francisco or Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is more important because Pennsylvania is a swing state that Trump can win, obviously. And, you know, you get these people that are, you know, coked up on her, coked up or on heroin, right? I can't say coked up on heroin. It's coked up or heroin. On heroin, right? Yeah, um, I have to, you know, get my head into Hep, the drug hepped game. Hepped up on heroin. So I don't know, but that's uh, alliteration. But hepped you know, they're, they're, they're walking heroin. around the streets like zombies, right? And yeah. and the idea is, do you think those people are voting? They don't even know. When, you know, they don't know where the precincts are, yeah, they so they're not where, voting. They don't even know when the election is. So, and they're going to be so. But they're getting a ballot. Their their vote. That zombie that's sitting. You know, like stuffed in a trash can on the side of a a street in Philadelphia, their vote counts as much as your vote counts. And somehow they're going to get a ballot. Some ballot harvester is going to give them a hit of crack or $10 to buy crack. And they're going to then say, here, I'll sell you. I'll give you you give me $10. I'll give you this ballot. And boom, the ballot is now in the hands of a Democrat operative. And if they ever get caught, nobody's ever going to do anything because you got Krasner, right? The DA, he's never going to... Mm-hmm. You got Soros DAs that are turning a blind eye to justice when it helps the Democrats. Right. That's what Soros' whole plan was about, financing the law enforcement and investigative arm of local municipalities in places where it, you're going to have... Uh, a necessity for election rigging, then you're going to turn a blind eye to prosecuting or investigating such crimes, and you're going to have the judges in the tank paid off, and that's how you do win the election fraud game. Because if you're a Republican and you you basically do one thing untort, you know you do one thing that's a little off the a uh, little shady. You're gonna you're gonna go and you're gonna spend the maximum amount of time in jail, and if you complain about election fraud like they did on J six, you'll rot in jail for the rest of your life. If they have their way, yeah. So, you know, they got Trump up. Uh, they want to threaten him with four hundred years of uh, prison. You know, the good news about Trump though is in his uh, Miami case, 
the uh, jury pool comes from red counties. Yeah. So more than likely, there's nothing going to happen there. That Jack Smith is going to pound sand is what he's going to do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just interesting the way th- things are playing out. But so they were talking about Biden. And you know what's funny is I've been telling the audience that this election is about globalism or anti-globalism. And I always I, I made that argument that if it's uh, RFK and Trump, the globalists aren't going to rig the election. Mm-hmm. And if it's DeSantis and Biden, the globalists are not going to rig the election because the outcome is assured. You're either... If it's Trump and, and RFK, yeah, you might have a better chance with RFK if you're a globalist because he supports climate, the climate hoax. He believes in that. He thinks that climate is a real thing, not a hoax uh, or a scam. And Trump, I, I think, is further away from that and would get out of the Paris Agreement and stuff like that, like he did in the past. So, but but... If if it if it's Biden versus Trump or if it's DeSantis versus RFK, you're going to see the globalists support DeSantis over RFK. Number one, and that would be like weird because DeSantis is a conservative, right? Yeah. But it just goes to show you that globalism is bipartisan because of the corporate partner government, the corporate government partnerships, and the money that goes to the candidates and to the politicians. So it's about their personal profit. So that's what it's really all about. And I said this in response to this, because Fox News, who's, you know, Paul Ryan is one of the biggest globalists on the planet. He and John Kerry and Joe Biden, they're all in this, and John McCain and Lindsey Graham, they're all globalists. They're all neocons, or if they're not conservative, they're they're warmongers, whatever you want to call them. But they're they're all about globalism and exploiting um, chaos and catastrophe uh, to implement policy. It's really what it is. They'll start a war in Syria just to get the slave labor from the re- of what they so-called refugees if they need some extra personnel, and corporations will be the ones dictating the terms. Hey, we need some cheap labor. Could you start a war in Syria so we can get those refugees? We can't afford to pay yeah. full price for these labor workers, right? I mean, that's what it is, right? Just say it, say it the way it is. I would love that. I would at least I would respect that. But they know, they know that it ain't gonna go anywhere. Nobody's ever gonna win elections. Speaking the truth on that one. Hey, we want slaves and we want sex trafficking and human trafficking. You know, you going to see a movie tonight, by the way? Yes. What movie are you going to see? Um, the one about freedom. Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom. I'm going too. Isn't that funny? Maybe maybe we might actually be going at the same time <laughs> and sitting next to each other. I think it's conceivable. 
With people uh, we know well, I, I think that could be possible. Yep. No, that movie, um, uh, from what I heard about it, was with the opening uh, uh, weekends, it fared better than the new Indiana Jones movie when you consider it. This is a much smaller budget film. You should have seen Wednesday's show or listened to Wednesday's show because I said the exact same thing. I think I told you that. <laughs> okay, that's where I got it from. <laughs> it was me. It was me. I was All the right. one who put that little nugget my in sources, your brain. My sources, your sources are, very are good, revealed. Very smart sources. I have very. F- I have the best sources. The yeah. best sources. Like I, the smartest I wanna, sources. No, I definitely want to see that. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. So I wrote this in response to, oh, so Fox News, Fox and Friends, right? So they didn't include RFK. They included Governor Whitmer. They included um, Gavin Newsom. They included uh, uh, Pete but, but, Buttigieg. Buttigieg, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and... and um, <laughs> He's got to be the, the worst the, transportation the secretary, secretary on the ever. Oh, we, we also have the worst press secretary. Roads right are now. racist. <laughs> All right, so and they, they included like four. Uh, yeah. Oh, and Joe Biden. I forgot about Joe. You forgot Biden. about him. Yeah. Joe Biden uh, brings up the fourth. <laughs> um, but they didn't include RFK. Now, to their credit, though, they said they were going to have Bobby Kennedy on the show at some point, but uh, they didn't include. RFK is a serious candidate within the Democrat Party, which is because he's anti-globalist. They're not going to promote him. Yeah. Even even Fox News is is so globalist that they can't. They're not allowed by their handlers to promote a can or say the name of a candidate that happens to be an anti-globalist whenever they can. I mean. I guess they are because they're going to have Bobby Kennedy on, which was a surprise to me after seeing this presentation where they had all these candidates that were potential candidates for the nomination for the Democrat Party and didn't include RFK, which to me baffles the mind. Yeah. Um, But I have a feeling that uh, it's going to be possible that I think um, Biden is going to step step aside and it's going to be Gavin Newsom. Yeah, well, people then, have talked about that for a while. And then I believe that uh, you're going to see Kamala Harris run for Feinstein's Senate seat. And Why what, would and you? I know. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I, have to, I have to step in here. Why would you go from being vice president to run for a Senate seat? I don't know. Yeah, I, I you know, okay. to me that, I mean, I, I, right. on the hierarchy of things, that so, seems like so a step you, down. You likely just don't agree with that statement. I don't agree with that statement. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I'm not the authority on I mean, Tom. she's already been a senator in, in California, and she's already been an attorney general in California. Why would she go? All right. She, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, that's a theory. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's I just mean, if th- I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But. It's just a theory. Yeah. Uh, the question, uh, so I, I tweeted this out. I said, because I was inspired by that piece, and I got off the treadmill, and I um, wrote this. And I said, the question of will you support the nominee of your own party, no matter the outcome, should be put to GOP, never Trump voters. Fair is fair, and polls indicate Trump is the choice of the people. You're either with the globalist or you oppose them. That is what election 2024 is all about. So my point here is this. During this conversation that they had on Fox and Friends, I, they said something to the effect, Biden is tanking, you know, he's at 39, 40 oh, yeah, percent. Terribly. And I'm thinking to myself, 40 percent? 40 I mean, are you kidding me? 40% of the United States of America thinks Biden's a good guy? Like, 
that to me seems ridiculous. And I've also been saying for a long time that I think that uh, the the uh, one of the problems that election fraudsters are going to have is the idea that polls can really counterbalance the fraud, meaning that it's acceptable to say, okay, if you do an po- independent poll, and you do a poll, and it's an accurate, well-done poll, and you have Biden at 20% and Trump at 80%, then there's just no way that you're going to be able to, with a straight face, say that election fraud didn't happen Yeah. if somehow Biden wins 51 to Trump's yeah. 49, right. right? Yeah. So there's just no way that polls could ever be that wrong, right? Now, they, they – but – that being said, they were way wrong in the 2016 election, if you recall. Yeah. And again, that's because polls were basically grooming outcome. And they were basically, uh, I think that they were fixed polls. Mm-hmm. So we have, to, we have to invest. I think that the conservatives need to invest in independent pollsters, finance them to do real polls, because then these real polls will go out and get a re- real information that will indicate what the outcome should be. And and then that, to me, is one of the best defenses against voter fraud. Because we've already proven that we cannot stop election fraud. Not with the mail-in ballots, not with the 30-day window, not with uh, the drop boxes, not with the ballot harvesters. Until we have the courts weigh in, on chain of custody issues and election integrity, mm-hmm. we're not going to have fair elections as conservatives. I think that the trouble that Trump presents to the Democrats is that his value and his numbers and his likability and and his popularity are are breaking algorithms that all the election fraud in the world given the universe of registered voters, is almost impossible math for the Democrats to overcome. Yeah. They managed to do it in 2020, and they exposed themselves in the process with all of the anomalies that we've pointed out throughout the years. And that's why they're so so much cracking down on it, because it's such a serious situation. But... Rest assured and make no mistake about it, election fraud is part of the globalist agenda. It's part of their mission. And I, I bring that up in part because we have Bastille Day. Yes. Right? And one of the things about Bastille Day is they're doing something different. And Leonora is our French expert. And she's going to comment on this. But um, one of the things about this is they're, they're sort of using climate as maybe like the blame. But one of the things I've been seeing, like if you take Ruta up in the Netherlands, if you take leadership around the world in Australia with Jacinda or New Zealand with Jacinda Ardern, with Canada and Justin Trudeau, and here in America with Joe Biden, uh, in France with Emmanuel Macron, um, these leaders are being ousted. They're being rejected by the people because these leaders are basically pushing the globalist Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, 
corporate global partnership agenda, and they're not serving the people, they're serving the corporate interests that line their pockets with money. It reminds me a little bit about like Jimmy, is Klaus Schwab any different than Jimmy Hoffa? Because what this truly is, is the world's biggest um, super monopoly and union in in the history of the world. And that if you are a Emmanuel Macron and you decide to serve your people rather than the globalist agenda, you'll become what they would call in the unions a scab or somebody that's working rogue and not for the better interest of the union. And you will be ruined. You'll end up like Jimmy Hoffa uh, at some point. And um, that's really what's going on on a global stage. To crystallize it and simplify it, it's no different than a corrupt mob-run union, labor union. Leonor. Yeah, so I want to talk uh, briefly about uh, the 14 juillet, the 14th of July, which is taking place this weekend in France. And it's and it's interesting um, on a practical level. They are not doing fireworks, and or or, or they are not doing fireworks in many places because they've uh, they have forbidden them because of the dryness of the territory. They have also forbidden them because of all the riots that happened with the uh, police shooting of Nahel, which happened a few weeks ago. Because there's concern because people sometimes use fireworks, um, you know, to protest. But they are in some cases going to use drones. So that's happening. And and that's kind of interesting because that that goes on to your, the the globalist agenda. Another interesting development right now is the uh, Modi from India is currently in France and he uh, participated um, w- in all the Quatorze uh, Juillet um, marches. So he was present with Macron, and Macron did give a brief speech about the partnership with India and how important India is to France. But what Macron did not do is. It is traditional on the on January first and on July fourteenth for for the president of France to address the nation and basically give a report card, you know, a status uh, state of the union, if you will. And he and he had told the media and announced publicly several days ago that he wasn't going to do it on the fourteenth of July. He was going to talk about it maybe within a week, and that breaks from tradition. And the reason people are speculating that he decided to do this is because there's a lot of concerns about. The, the the popularity of the government, the popularity of Macron himself, which is at about a 32% level, and the popularity of his prime minister, which is Elizabeth Bourne, which is even lower. And there are rumblings of a reorganization of this minister is going to go out, that minister is going to go out. And part of it's the riots, part of it's the, you know, the, the raise in the retirement age. And then, of course, to your point, there is the globalism. There are people that are rejecting the globalism. Macron is being pushed a little bit more to the right. So I have written about this. I did a biography of Elizabeth Bourne a few weeks ago, and a lot and where they were talking about uh, potentially her being forced to step down. I spoke about that in my article, and I am currently working on another article, which will be out in a few weeks, a book called Après la Déconstruction, where several professors, French professors, had a colloquium at the Sorbonne, and the colloquium wasn't sanctioned by La Sorbonne, a university where I studied while I was a student uh, years ago in Paris, but the colloquium was 
Anti-Woke. It, it's a collection of essays and presentations that counter the wokeism. And you'll, you'll hear more from me about this. But it's a very interesting phenom- phenomenon that uh, the wokeism that's in the American universities is has infiltrated Europe, and and there are, and there are people in Europe who don't want it, and I've heard this you know distinctly from the French, and I'm sure it's in other places as well. So more to, more to follow on that. So so look uh, to the uh, my, uh, the website, the American Spectator, Spectator dot org. Within the coming weeks, you will you will see my article. And if anybody wants a copy of the print magazine where I where I had my education article, where where should they email Scott? Oh, email uh, for the oh the, for the print magazine. Um, I was queuing up a video yeah. audio audio clip. Um, oh, uh, Scott at scottadamshow.com. They should email Scott yeah. at scottadamshow.com, and I will send you a complimentary issue of the print magazine from the American Spectator education issue with a list of conservative colleges, along with my articles. Great. Okay. All right, and um, I'm writing. Uh, I'm actually submitting a new article for AARP about Caltown Rodeo, which is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's going to be kind of exciting. I mean, because yeah. that's a place you visited as a child. Yeah, ninety percent of what I do is politics, but there is this other little thing that I do for AARP, and you have a few other pieces will be coming out life soon. Experience articles like yeah. uh, browser extensions and how to save money. Um, uh, Freebies, summer freebies, concerts. You, you have a piece about credit cards too coming out. Yeah, and credit card debt, and uh, also I wrote one about mar- marriage, uh, mar- the benefits of marriage. So, yeah, I've, I've been having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, all right, so um, we're going to switch gears and we're going to go to um, something that's interesting. The they can't find the cocaine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I find that to be fascinating. Or no, they, they can't find it. No, they don't know who did it. <laughs> they don't know who did it. You know, one quick comment about Didn't this. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Do you know there are websites out there where they're sitting there guessing who brought the, brought the, co- uh, the cocaine into the White House? I'm sure this isn't the first time this has happened. Hey, I got to believe it happened in the Clinton administration. <laughs> who shot JFK? No, don't really know. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, who uh, killed Jeffrey Epstein? Don't know. Uh, the ca- how about the cameras? Uh, no, the cameras weren't working. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that list of Johns? Um, we don't have this list is under seal. Sorry, it's classified. I mean, give me a break. I mean, this is just such a banana republic we're living in, right? It's just such a joke at this point. I mean, this would never fly back in the old days. Well, I guess it would. I mean, they actually covered up um, uh, uh, Franklin Del- FDR. Yeah, FDR for the longest time they covered up that he was in a wheelchair. Yeah. The media love the Democrat president, right? Yeah. But if it's a Republican, forget about it, right? You're going to impeach him twice for a perfectly good phone call about a guy like Zelensky, who basically over in the uh, summit over in Europe that Biden was just at, uh, Zelensky it was la- it was being laughed at because he was standing on stage and he had no friends. Oh, he's just like this beggar that's begging for money. Is he he's still just, just like wearing the coup. sweatshirt? I, I really think if he you're wearing... president of a country, you need a better wardrobe. That's yeah, just I all mean, there is. You're to all it. on stage. Everybody's wearing suits, and you're wearing like these green army pants and a shirt. It's like it's almost like a Saturday Night Live sketch where everybody's in costume. That the everybody's wearing a blue suit. Nobody's 
wearing a seersucker jacket. You know, uh, nobody's being anything but like your typical European pompous butthead. And and then you got uh, the launderer guy. The launder, you know, he may as well. Uh, have Calgon and take all the money back to Ukraine and launder it. Mm-hmm. Um, ancient Chinese secret. Ancient, huh? ancient <laughs> Chinese secret. Oh, that's too <laughs> we funny. We need more Calgon. Um, let's take a listen to this though. The FBI can't find the can't find the perpetrator of the cocaine. There's cameras everywhere in the White House. They just they don't know who did it. Now, and you knew there was going to be a problem when the FBI got involved. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesse Waters has this uh, posted this on Twitter. It says former FBI agent Stuart Kaplan says there's only two reasons the FBI has hijacked the White House Coke investigation, and both of them reek of corruption. Let's take a listen. Oops. Uh, let's see. Oh, I got the wrong. I got the wrong audio track on, but we're going to get it on track. Here we go. For having me, let me put some context. The uniform division of the Secret Service, the United States Secret Service, and non-uniform division has exclusive jurisdiction to protect the White House. That's the interior of the White House, its property, and the comings and goings of the White House. Now, it's fully plausible, and I do agree, that when they recovered this white substance that obviously probably was field tested with respect to it already they already knew that it was cocaine it's clear that they would send it probably to the fbi laboratory to for a confirmation but once that confirmation came back there's only one or two reasons why then the fbi would continue being involved in this investigation and and one the latter uh, would bother me more but let's talk about the first one is if the united states secret service uh through watching the video determined and developed and information or evidence that one of their own may have been assisting someone bringing in cocaine on a regular basis to maybe service someone who has inhabit, then I can understand that the United States Secret Service would elicit or solicit the FBI's assistance in conducting interviews. And the United States Secret Service potentially would say there may be a conflict of interest. The latter one, given the landscape and, and certainly after seeing the proceedings today, may be more plausible than not. Under the executive order of 1233, which gives the FBI exclusive jurisdiction and investigative powers to investigate our national security domestically, maybe the United States Secret Service realized, or the FBI realized, if they come on board and now make this a national security investigation, That then cloaks this entire scenario in Mm -hmm. secrecy. That means that your freedom of information request and everybody else's request, we will never, ever see the light of day of ever knowing really what happened because the FBI will fall back on a breach of national security and then it is cloaked in secrecy and we will never know really, truly who was responsible for bringing in the cocaine and who ultimately responsible for being in possession of that cocaine because the FBI, and rightfully so, with respect to quote-unquote national security investigations, can take that posture. And that posture would be ridiculous and a cover-up. So, but, but before we continue, if you're doing an investigation like this and you've done investigations like this before, you know how they roll. What would be some of the things you'd look into? You'd look at surveillance tapes. You'd look at logs. 
Why is it taking this long to wrap this thing up? It's not, Jesse, because the people at the top of the ivory tower are scrambling now. And just as you saw some of the most pathetic responses play out uh, in the hearing today with Director Ray, they can't because they're incapable of being forthright and forthcoming. They're just posturing. And I will tell you that the Secret Service now is happy to pass this off to the FBI because the United States Secret Service certainly doesn't want to be put under the microscope. But look, Jesse, with all of the video surveillance that is inside the White House, this is about a 30-second investigation with respect to going back, reviewing the videos, because you know exactly where the substance was recovered from. You work backwards, you identify who left it there or who dropped it there or why it was there, and then it's easily then being able to apprehend and prosecute that individual. However, if the curtain has come down, and, and let's be honest, I think you touched, touched upon it, if it belongs to Hunter Biden, this is not a one-and-done scenario. This is someone who has a habitual problem, and he would have to have someone coming and going into the White House to provide him his cocaine on, on whether it's daily or bi or biweekly. And this would be a reoccurring event. And that may be exactly why the FBI is going to shield this investigation or a national security curtain. You're right, because we, we have sources telling us that Hunter Biden's actually living at the White House. He doesn't just visit well, once in a while. He's living. So that theory of yours makes a lot of sense. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, one word, three syllables, fingerprints. Yeah, fingerprints. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they, we haven't heard anything. They, don't, they just don't want to know. That's all there is to it. Um, all right. So we have a few clips here of John Kerry. John Kerry, the climate czar for the State Department. Um, here we go. Uh, this is basically uh, about John Kerry's private plane. Mr. Secretary, uh, in, in exchange with Mr. Mills, you uh, just testified under oath that you never owned a private jet. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter into the record an uh, article here from February 15th of 2023 that the John Kerry family private jet was sold shortly after accusations of climate hypocrisy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, do you stand by that testimony Not that you've never I, owned or I personally, your family? I your family. personally, yes. My wife owned a plane and sold the and plane. You flew That's on that been, plane? Uh, not in a number of years, and, but I have flown on it, and sure. this article is not then inaccurate, that your family owned a plane, you flew on a plane. There, my, wife Secretary, owned, my wife owned here's a plane. The, here's the issue. Yeah. This isn't some kind of partisan gotcha. When we are asking Americans to make serious sacrifices as we transition for the common good, and your family and or yourself are flying around on private jets, that smacks of hypocrisy. It actually hurts your cause, Mr. Secretary. But I'll, I'll move on. I but, but just want to know sir, from a record sir, standpoint. Afford me the, the right at least to set the record straight here. I do not fly on a private jet. Uh, I do. I do not fly. I fly commercially. Have on you flown all on of a private jet since you've taken this position? Just, just let me let me just finish. I have flown five times in the last two and a half years on Millair, which you also fly on, sure. and or some of you who travel fly on five times. 
Otherwise, all of my trips are commercial Have airlines. you flown on a private jet in a personal or official capacity since you've taken this position? Possibly once. I, I don't, I think, I just don't, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I think you need to take the broader point of how this appears to the American people no, as we're asking them to take that. that. Let me tell you why. Mis- I, you, you we're know, not asking you know Americans, we're not asking Americans not to fly. You know. You're, you're trying to create an unequal thing. We're not no, saying we're don't fly. No, we're asking you to lead by example, Mr. Secretary. That's what we're at. You which is why I fly commercially. By example. Which is why I fly In that vein, does your office uh, or the State Department keep a record of your official travel and scheduled meetings? Of course. Uh, does that include the individuals you're scheduled to meet with? Uh, I, can, you provide the, can you provide those records to Congress? Will you provide those records to Congress? Of who I've met with? Uh, your official travel. Your official travel, taxpayer-funded, while in this position. Sure, happy to do so. Thank you. I appreciate that uh, commitment. Switching uh, top. Okay, so that'll be interesting to find out that information. And then here, there's just more to this. Testifies, uh, this is uh, where Scott Perry accuses John Kerry of being a grifter over climate czar position. In an attempt to get to net zero by 2050, do you support the administration's goal of cutting U.S. emissions in half by 2030? Uh, Yes, I do. Secretary, in 1997, the Senate voted 95 to zero, including you and then Senator Biden, in favor of the Byrd-Hagel resolution, which resolved that the U.S. shouldn't cut emissions until China, Mexico, India, Brazil, South Korea, and other so-called developing nations cut emissions as well. Do you remember that? I do very, very well because I was managing it on the floor of the Senate. Since uh, 97, have emissions from China, India, and Mexico all increased? Yes, as they have from the United States. And and global emissions have continued to increase as well, right? Yes. Have any of those countries submitted a credible plan to get to net zero emissions by 2050? Which countries? Let's just go with uh, China, India, or Mexico. No. It seems that have you abandoned your position that those other nations would cut emissions before Americans would have to make choices between the groceries on their table and paying for for these policies? I think the reality is that the world changed in that period of time. Let me. Let me yeah, well, he goes on to say that he led the uh, the vote in the Senate and it was a message vote. And that uh, this in order to save time, I'm going to su- su- summarize and. Um, that uh, things things have changed, but they don't uh, they don't really admit the truth. That, like for example, India is burning coal rather than natu- adopting natural gas, um, and all these uh, different goals, like China promised to get to twenty two hundred gigawatts of renewable energy, uh, and they're not doing that. Uh, smoke and mirrors. They're putting cranes up, but nothing ever gets built. The cranes are just part of a show. Um, in India, they continue to uh, use coal rather than adopt natural gas um, because electric and wind isn't going to get it done. And natural gas is really the solution. But for some reason, natural gas doesn't make the globalists rich because it's not electric. And the globalists are all in on electric. And then you got the issue of slave labor which we're going to get to. Um, here we have Brian Mass directly confronts John Kerry over his role as climate czar. Nobody voted for you. All right, let's take a listen to this. Subcommittee, 
on oversight and accountability will come to order. The purpose of this hearing is to examine the State Department's climate policy and the budget of the Special Presidential Envoy for Climate's office. I now recognize myself for an opening statement. As we examine the State Department's climate agenda and budget, we are joined today by former Secretary of State John Kerry. Thank you for being here today. First ever Special Presidential Envoy for Climate. Mr. Kerry, you're sitting in a newly created position, but from all of the research that I've done in two years, you've largely managed to avoid any real oversight or accountability in that position. Now, my community cares about this as an issue. We sit on Florida's East Coast. We felt the consequences of environmental disaster. I'm a member of the Bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus, a co-chair of the Roosevelt Conservation Caucus. And I believe that it's critical that we do work to defend our environment, clean air, clean water, public health. Protecting our environment is important. I don't know a person literally in Congress that doesn't believe that protecting our environment is important. But as you and I have discussed, and I've said this to you before, you can't worry about the efficiency of your home if you can't make rent, if you can't make your, war your mortgage payment, and you can't worry about the emissions of your automobile payment, of your automobile if you can't make the, the payment on your car. You can't worry about the way America is electrified, or you have to worry about the way America is electrified as we look to the future to make sure that our electric grid can support the policies that are being pushed. And it seems in many cases like you are hell-bent on enacting policies, not by votes through the House of Representatives and the Senate, but by fiat. Secretary Blinken has said that your leadership will be indispensable in weaving climate into the fabric of everything we do at State Department. Personally, I don't believe that climate should be the focus of every part of diplomacy, which is the job of the State Department. And I believe that we probably disagree about that. But regardless, it is clear to me that you, even having served as a longtime senator, you are willing to push the envelope of what it means to live in a constitutional republic in order to get the agenda that the administration sees enacted. And no matter how somebody watching this hearing feels about climate change, I believe that that should be of large concern to them. This is my chief concern about your office. You're serving on the National Security Council, but you're not confirmed by the Senate. In your previous role as Secretary of State, you unilaterally entered our nation into some of the largest agreements, like the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran nuclear deal, unilaterally bound Americans to set standards that would dramatically increase their cost of living or affect their way of life in the Paris Climate Accords, and I believe that speaks volumes about your overarching philosophy as it applies to governing and what you're doing now as what some people have called the climate czar. Mr. Kerry, nobody voted for you in this body. It seems like, once again, the rules don't apply to the president's inner circle. You, he has called you his best buddy. That brings me to my second concern that I want to speak about today, and it's just basic levels of transparency, the mechanisms of transparency in government that your office has not participated in to be accountable to the people. Every time you travel to a climate summit or Kim, King Charles' coronation or the wedding of the Crown Prince of Jordan, you're supposed to document the carbon emissions generated by your trip. Your office has failed to do so. You're supposed to produce an organizational chart of your office. Your office only did so when there was a lawsuit filed and filled in none of the names of the people that work in your office. You ignore most congressional requests for documents, have ignored those from the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Oversight Committee for months. 
You're supposed to respond to FOIA requests, but claim that it would take years to produce basic budgetary information. In some cases, not willing to release it until 2024. You're supposed to be clear about the work that you do on behalf of the American people, but you don't have a landing page on the State Department's website. I don't believe this is how you fulfill the White House's promise to bring transparency and truth back to government. And it is my assessment that you are afraid of the American people knowing exactly what it is that you are up to at places like the climate change conferences that you attend. You are headed off to COP28 soon. You've been to COP27 and other summits and purporting to represent the United States of America. But you're not representing the United States of America's people, in my opinion. I believe that you are representing a far-left radical agenda. Those are my beliefs. But the truth is, because of the lack of transparency, no one really knows exactly what it is that you are representing. Wow. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, very powerful. Yep. Yeah. And let's take a listen to this. This is kind of interesting about the uh, organizational chart. Talk about some of the lack of transparency and just say, Secretary, number one, can you direct me to your website, your landing page, your about your office section, mission statement section of your website? Well, I have a state.gov backslash whatever. I can direct you to the <laughs> CN, the congressional notice, which had a very detailed chart that I have here. Which lays but every out our consular, office. every bureau, every they have a, a website, tells about their mission statement, everything. Do you have that at state? Because I couldn't, honestly, myself and my staff, we couldn't find that. Well, we certainly have that. <coughs> if you all find it, get it to we us. Use the state to have it. We use the State Department website. So you use the states, but you don't have your own landing page on state that says about you, your mission statement, you name it. We check. I want to move on to some other levels of just what's going on with the hierarchy in your office. As I said, 2021 FOIA request, uh, your office replied that you wouldn't get back to it until about 2024. It's 2023. We'd like a few answers. Now, I'm not going to ask for every one of these, but I would love to know the names of the individuals that actually answer to you. Who are the ones that directly answer to you so we can know a little bit about your office and then We'll give this chart to somebody in your office, and maybe they can fill out the rest of the names while you're here answering questions for us. It would be very helpful. Who is your deputy envoy for climate? I have two deputies, and uh, they are well-known. They're very experienced people, Rick Duke and uh, Sue Binias. But I'm not going to go through all the Rick names Rick Duke here. and who? Mr. Chairman, Sue Binias, who's one of the most experienced negotiators in the world. Is Mr. Chairman, let me just say to you, deputy? Mr. Chairman, I'm not going to fill them in here in this way because that would be a violation of our process within the State Department. You're not going to tell us who's I'm not going to go office. through them by name because that is not the required process of the State Department. Who's the principal deputy for climate in your office? As I just said to you, Mr. Chairman. Who's the chief of staff? I am going to go through the normal process. Now, an algorithm kicked out that date. 
the, the one you're referring to. I'm not going to argue human. about it, Mr. Kerry, Secretary I'm, Kerry. I'm, I'm not going to argue about it. You said you're not going to answer. You're not going to answer. It's par for the course. No, I'm like going to answer Like I said, there was a FOIA request process. 2021, said it wasn't going to be answered until 2024. I'm not going to spend my time arguing about it. You said you're not going to answer now. Mr. Chairman, don't, don't just it. cut me off. What I'm trying to do is tell you I'm going to follow the process of the State Department, which is normally followed. Where there are circumstances requiring that someone know who the person is, the State Department has complied and, and done that. Every office, where every consular, not every a bureau, they have a hierarchy. You where go there into is the military not a requirement. Base, it says Joe Biden. It says the secretaries. It says there's a hierarchy. This is standard practice for government. We not have presented that it's not with practice. the congressional long notification. Enough. I want to point another arrow on my chart office. here, Mr. Secretary. We presented you just help us out? that answer. Do you answer to the executive office of the president or do you answer to Secretary he answers directly to the president, but he keeps blinking in the loop. That was the answer that he gave. And it's just, it's this whole czar thing is pretty, pretty mysterious. It is. All right. Agenda 21. This is a really good clip uh, to explain really what's going on in the world and why it is that election 2024 is so important with respect to uh, electing a uh, candidate that would pull us out of the globalist uh, agenda. Agenda 21 is kind of a code name for a master plan originated at the United Nations to change the political and economic system of the world to one of total collectivism. And in order to do that, people must not be allowed to have independence. They must be dependent on the state for everything. Otherwise, they won't, they won't be easily controlled by the state. That means they can't have private property, mostly. They cannot have land of their own. They have to live in, preferably, high-rise apartments uh, that are provided to them by the state as a benefit, so to speak. Oh, good, we got a free apartment. But they want, these people at the top want all humans to be dependent on the largesse of the state. That means that they don't want anybody living out in the boonies. Anybody that's got a couple of acres of land and his own water supply and can grow his own food and that kind of thing, or have some sheep or some chickens, these people are a threat to the collectivist society because they aren't going to go to the politicians and say, please feed me, please clothe me, please give me shelter. They tend to be independent. That's the secret behind Agenda 21. They want people out of the country. They want corporations out there growing all the food and that kind of thing, but they don't want anybody living out there because that way they cannot be controlled. In order to control mankind, we have to get them all into the big cities. We have to rack them up and stack them up get them dependent on the state for their food, their shelter, their electrical power, their water, everything. That's the dirty secret behind Agenda 21. That is so well said. All right, I want to take a listen to uh, this piece. Uh, this is by Matt Gates talking about FBI Director Ray and uh, real uh, Steve Friend. Steve Friend is the FBI whistleblower that testified that the FBI was, in fact, uh, prioritizing going after t uh, parents 
rather than policing uh, human trafficking. I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo, which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. Mr. Friend, you ever been to a school board meeting? Yes, I have. FBI ever sent you to the parking lot of a school board meeting? Yes, they have. And in the parking lot of a school board meeting where the FBI sent you, you were taking down information regarding people's license plates. That's correct. Now, it wasn't the first time you'd been to a school board meeting, was it? No, I went on my own as a private citizen. As a parent? Yes. And so there you were. It must have been quite an interesting perspective. There you were taking down the information of people, parents attending school board meetings on behest of the FBI. And you had been one of those parents at a school board meeting. How did that feel? Well, after I attended privately, my colleagues teased me that they were probably going to start investigating me. You used to go after the worst of the worst, didn't you? Yes, I believe so. You went after people who looked at child porn? Yes. People who were sexually exploiting children? Yes. And then you were in the parking lot of a school board meeting, taking down the information of parents. What happened to the cases that you were working to, to protect our communities from the worst predators that exist? I was told they were not to be resourced, uh, and then uh, after I was suspended, uh, they were handed off to local law enforcement. And so what's interesting is there's another clip here of this uh, exchange with Congressman Troy Nels. You mentioned 38,000 agents and support personnel in your agency. How many FBI agents and support personnel have you assigned to the January 6th investigation? I don't know that I know the number. I know we have a lot of people working okay. on it in Lots multiple fields. Fair enough. Lots. Yeah. Knowing that you are dealing with some of the sickest people in our society with investigations related to child sex trafficking, have you reassigned any of these agents or personnel to investigate January 6th? Yes or no? I, I don't believe we have reassigned people away from uh, child exploitation okay. to January I, 6th. Now, now, let I'm, me just say this, Director. I, I find that answer knowledge. disturbing because last month, Steve Friend... He testified before the Weaponization Committee. Mr. Friend was a domestic terror investigator for you, and he was told by one of his superiors that January 6th was, I quote, a higher priority than pursuing child pornography cases, end quote. And for those of you watching in America, understand today's FBI is more concerned about searching for and arresting grandma and grandpa for entering the Capitol building that day than pursuing the sick individuals in our society who prey on our children. And Mr. Ray, your priorities are flawed. Boom. And uh, yeah, that's just uh, what's going on in our FBI. Uh, FBI. Oh, wow. Oh, that um, happened fast. Yeah, that's I, I just um, I have I have another hour for you. <laughs> no. um, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the Scott Adams show. Uh, that was actually not a bad place to end the show. I, but it came up on me by surprise. Um, so thank everybody for listening in. Be sure to check out magapack.org, magapack.org, to find out how we are advancing America First policies to make America great again. Make a donation if you can. It certainly will help out. Also, use Red State over at mypillow.com. Red State is the promo code 
for over at MyPillow.com. And with that, my name is Scott Adams. My name is Leonor Cavetta. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Hotel Goodbye, Tennessee, everybody. A long way from the suits in D.C. But close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.